You're listening to 2, 5, and 10, your source for bullshit-free NHL news, analysis, and insights. Now, here are your hosts, Kevin Naughton and Ben Stewart. Niggas been counting me out, I'm counting my bullets, I'm loading my clips, I'm writing down names, I'm making a list, I'm checking it twice and I'm getting them hit, the real ones been dying, the fake ones is lit, the game is all balanced, I'm back on my shit, the bitly is dirty, my sneakers is dirty, but that's how I like it, you all on my dick, I'm all in my bag, it's hard as it get, I do not store powder, I might take a sip, I might hit the blunt, but I'm liable to trip, I ain't popping no pills, you do Hello, as you everybody, wish, I roll with and welcome to episode I apologize for the delay that we had. I know it was uh, a little unsuspected. You know, me and Benny, I I had a little vacation. Uh, Then, ironically, I know me and Benny both got some uh, dental work done. What are the odds, right? Not from kissing. Like true hockey, but true hockey guys. Like true hockey guys. uh, I mean, I had mine from, I guess they said... I had a trauma years and years ago to my teeth. I had gotten them fixed. But now they said, of course... Things like this pop through. So I had to go get a nice root canal, which was always thankful. So I think I'm going to send Kevin Sue the bill for that one. Um, I heard you had to go get uh, get some dental work done because the New Jersey devil himself came and uh, knocked on your door, beat you up, threw the, threw the jersey over your head, threw a couple of jabs. Is that true, or what happened? Well, no, see, he, he stopped by, but I was trying to give him a little bit of uh, – show some respect, so I wanted to impersonate him. So I ran headfirst right into a glass door. I mean, whatever it is, like they say, uh, it what, what is it? Impersonation is the greatest flattery or something like yeah, that? Yeah, something like that. <laughs> something like that. All right. Uh, getting into the hockey part of it, what do we got going on this week, Benny? Where, where do you want to start? I know there was a couple of things. Not too much, pretty quiet, but, I mean, there's there are some things that popped up. Yeah, I mean, there were some injuries out in St. Louis that we've touched on on our Facebook page. So if you want a little bit more detail on that or our thoughts on that, follow us on Facebook, 2, 5, and 10. Um, kind of just want to keep it to the really interesting topics that have occurred over the last two weeks. I think the first one where we'll start off is with Dustin Bufflin. We've kind of followed that situation uh, since the summer, well, training camp when he announced that he was not going to be showing up, and the Winnipeg Jets have suspended him uh, for not arriving uh, to the team, which is just for their own cap situation. Um, he elected to have ankle surgery, foot surgery, um, just last week, which will keep him out until the new year if he does decide to come back, which, for me, one, that kind of lines up to a nice little bounce back uh, for him to pick up his uh, career during a playoff chase if the Jets are still in it. It helps them out, too. Uh, but two, and I kind of want to get your perspective on this, do you think this kind of... Because, okay, just to give a little bit more context, he got a clean bill of health in his end-of-year physical after the Jets were eliminated from the playoffs. He didn't tell the trainers or the doctors that he was having any issues abnormally with his feet, with his ankle. He went through all of summer without saying anything, and then he just framed it around. I just lost the passion for playing hockey. I want to take a break from it. And now he's having this ankle surgery. Do you think the NHL might look into if this is an actual longer-term thing that the Jets hid in their end-of-year physical, or is this kind of a way to circumvent when he does come back? They can actually activate him, put him on 
LTIR while he recovers, and they get by an extra six, seven weeks of uh, cap space while they figure out what to do. No, I, I don't think it's that at all. I was actually surprised by the whole thing. It, it stunned me because, l- like you had just said, he came and he discussed how his passion was gone for the game and how that was the issue. And now it's an ankle. And then, like you just said, he had gotten a clean bill of health at the end of the season through the trainers and the medical staff. So this is unbeknownst to anybody. Granted, I know we have heard some crazy stories in the past about training. You know, sometimes you fall a little weird. You know, there are little muscles and tendons around your ankle there. Maybe something popped. But for all this to happen the way it has, it's strange. It's bizarre. And... I don't know if he wants to play hockey and maybe this is one of those mental things where he's had ankle issues in the past that we don't know of. And now he's thinking, you know, maybe this is the reason why I'm slow. Well, maybe it's all the food they eat. Like, you know, (laughs) like maybe you shouldn't be walking around at 260. So, yeah. So I just think that I think he's in his own head a little bit and listen, me personally, if I didn't have a passion for the game, like I came out and I said, I wouldn't be getting ankle surgery because I wouldn't want to go and play again because I don't have that passion. So it's almost like there's someone pushing him in a sense. But it's like you said, if he goes and he gets this done, he comes back just after the new year. A, you have to incorporate a rust factor. B, who knows how big he's going to be. And, and I mean... That's not gonna, training, yeah. yeah, like not training. You're gonna be off your feet. Like, how much bigger can he get? And with that, is he gonna be able to come in and be effective? Like, I, I don't like it at all. I, I just don't think it's a good look. It's, it's ugly in every which way. But at the same time, if he comes back, he, he's their A one defenseman. Like, yep. he jumps right to that slot. So, I don't know what's worse that there was no backup plan for Buff. Or if that's what you get coming right off the shelf, an overweight, overpaid big fella who we don't know what he's going to be able to do. So I, I, I don't know. That's going to be a, uh, a very interesting when that one plays out. Yeah, I mean, a couple of things to that is now let's say he would be able to this ankle surgery wasn't necessary for him to live a comfortable, comfortable life just as a human, never mind as a hockey player. If that's the case, he wouldn't be getting this surgery if he wasn't planning on coming back then. So this is kind of an indication that he's seriously contemplating returning after the new year. I'm sure that he's going to have to train and play go on a rehab assignment in AHL to get up to speed, get rid of any rust and LBs on that, on that frame. But the thing that I, I keep going back to is if he was healthy – at the end of year physical, the Jets have already confirmed that he didn't injure himself over the summer training. Like there was no incident that led to this surgery. So that means that he suffered that injury before the end of the year. So how did he get a clean bill of health from the team doctors? Is it the Jets are just covering for him? Uh, so the fans don't get upset that that's why he needs ankle surgery where it actually did happen over the summer during training where he did something stupid. Or is that just how banged up these guys are where it's acceptable for them to have to get 
a minor surgery at some point over the summer, but they're still kind of quote unquote cleared by doctors and the physical, which either way, that's kind of raises some red flags in terms of how healthcare and the guys are just taken care of around the league and by these organizations where Buff might have gotten a clean bill of health while also needing ankle surgery. Um, the other thing I wanted to touch on is the cap situation. So he's, this is just the second year of his five-year extension that's totaling $38 million over the course of the next five years. So that's $8 million this season, $6 million next season. He's suspended by the Jets right now, which I mentioned because it helps their cap situation. So he, isn't, he hasn't collected any of that money. When he does come back, if he, if he does come back, how much of that money does he get prorated? Is it when he decides to come back? Is it when he starts his rehab assignment? Is it when he plays his first game? Is it when he just reports to the organization that he's back? So that might be some friction between the Jets who are trying to either save some actual cash or B, are trying to get as much of a break under the salary cap as much as possible, and Bufflin, who's going to want as much of that salary as he can get. So even if he does decide to come back, there might be some friction. It might need to go to a neutral arbitrator to figure out how much of a prorated salary is he going to get for the remainder of the year. Well, well, looking at it right now on Cap Friendly, it says their current cap is 75975 with that, they have projected cap space of five and a half. Going forward, like you said, Big Buff is currently at seven six. But when you look at a couple of the other guys they have on IR, Brian Little at five point two nine one, and then they got Latestu and Appleton. I mean, together they're at one point four. So now it's do you want Brian Little or do you want Dustin Bufflin? Because you are gonna have yep. to wiggle something. And that's why the Jets might put it more of a fight and go, no, it's actually when you play your first game, or at least I would if I was the Jets management, and Buff might be like, no, I mean, I I came out of retirement. I should be getting paid this entire time. So that might not come to fruition, but I think that's something to keep our eyes on um, to see if that might even prevent Bufflin where he decides to come back, he has the surgery, and then he's like, all right, screw you guys. If you ain't going to pay me what I what I deserve, then I ain't going to come back anyway. So keep our eyes on that. Um, we'll keep everybody updated. The second uh, item that we wanted to touch on that happened uh, over our, our little break, Luch, he got suspended once again uh, for the Calgary Flames two games for Sucker Punch. Um, I think it was last Thursday or Friday. Uh, you can correct me if I'm wrong on that. What do you do? You think it was worth a suspension? Do you think, if so, do you think two games is too much, too little? And what do you think of his? I would say his degradation to his game, where he used to be a legitimate power forward in this league, and now he's just kind of a meathead going around just throwing fists at anybody, even if they don't have the gloves off, even if they're not ready to fight. He's done this when he was in L.A. after leaving Boston, so I'm not quite sure what his game is anymore. The thing I saw here was. Cole Sherwood, the Columbus forward who did this, he did indeed come in and spear Riddich. Like, he was following that rebound, and he came and he whacked him. Yeah. The problem I have is nobody else did anything. They didn't even move. They didn't flinch. And to me, I know growing up the game I played was you protect the goalie. 
Oh yeah. It, just, and, it's like a wife. <laughs> yeah, and and no one even flinched. And to me, that's the crazy part. So obviously Lucic is the bad guy. I mean, could he have just came over and gave the guy a two hander right in the chest? Absolutely. When he goes the other way, does he cross the line a little bit? Yeah, I mean, it wasn't like it was a little jersey jab. He came in and right over the top, Jimmy Superfly Snooker just punched him in the face. <laughs> but now I have the question of where is the game going? Because if this happens in April in the playoffs, I think he just gets two minutes for roughing. I don't think there's any suspension here. So I just think that the NHL when it comes to suspensions and the way that the game's played, I think they need to be consistent on all bases. Yeah. And if you're only, if you're not going to call this in the playoffs, don't call it now. And I know they say everything with the playoffs. Well, whatever the suspension would be in the regular season, cut it in half. And that's what it is in the playoffs. Like, is this because there's no rivalry between Calgary and Columbus? If this was Calgary and Edmonton, and one of the guys on Edmonton's period and Lucic goes after him, does this happen? Do do we get a two-game suspension? I think it's a line brawl to begin with. Yeah, but. so it's like, I just feel maybe it's just a different situation. Maybe it's just a different game. But the fact that the goalie got hit and no one flinched and Lucic was the only one to do something, that just scares me about the game in general. Not That also scares me about Calgary. That's why they had to bring Lucic in to begin with. And it very well could be. I mean, you know, I don't want. I don't think they want Kachuk doing that anymore. Th- that's why they pay Lucic. Yep. Like you want to be an instigator, go ahead, have at it, but d- don't cost yourself and don't don't get in a fight and get hurt because we will not be very happy about that. Yeah, I mean, that's an interesting point that I didn't even really think of about how nobody on nobody else on Calgary even tried to do anything um, after the little jab that. Um, Riddish received, but, but I kind of understand because, like you said, when we grew up, nobody touches the goalie. So I kind of understand what Lucha is trying to do. My issue was the punch. And not that it was this malicious Todd Bertuzzi style punch, but you could have done so many different things there. You could, like you said, stick to the chest. You could have even face washed them. You could just shove them down to the ice. You could have jumped on top of them or pulled them down, grab the back of his jersey and pull them down just to let him know, like, pass that message along. Don't pull that shit. That's what I kind of mean about what's his game. Like, is he that... Because he didn't really used to do this this frequently in Boston. He would still pull stuff like this, but is he that much of a just stereotypical meathead of... Uh, he hit goalie, I hit him. Like, there's no thought around, like, proportionality, how not to damage a team by getting suspended, how not to get ejected from a game, anything like that anymore. It just acts out of sheer instinct and emotion, which isn't a smart thing to do, especially, like you said, if this happens in the playoffs and he gets suspended, you're going to... We're even a five-minute major power play in the playoffs. That can change an entire series. So... That would concern me if I was the coaching staff in Calgary where we had to be careful of this guy costing us in the big spot. Do you find it just crazy, though, that all he got on the ice was just two minutes? They didn't kick him out of the game. They didn't give him a five-minute major. He only got two minutes. And when he spoke about it this week, he said, 
I thought the refs on the ice got it right. He was very adamant that the referees got the call right two minutes for roughing. And that he was suspended. He didn't agree with that at all. I mean, what do you think about the suspension? You think two's just right, kind of sending a message, too many? Because this is the same Lucic that when he was in L.A. opening night, I believe it was, what, two years ago? When Logan Couture hit him and he didn't oh, like yeah. it. And he just beelabed. Beelined him right across the... No intention of playing a puck. And the same thing. He went and he threw a punch at him. So it's like, is Lucic crossing the line in the sense of, like we discussed, he could give somebody a two-hander, he could grab onto him, kind of let him know what's going on. It seems like he just goes right to throwing him. There's yep. no in-between. It's We're, we're going. That's it. <laughs> I think, so the suspension, I think it's more of a... It's twofold. It's a reputation call on him. He's been suspended before. And also, the NHL is trying to eliminate unnecessary headshots because of the concussions and the lawsuit that they're still going through from former players. I know they still allow fighting, which is kind of at odds with their stance of trying to eliminate headshots. Like, if you're trying to eliminate headshots, you shouldn't be allowing fighting, essentially. But this is the most definitely unnecessary, which I think is why he it led to a suspension. But I don't think it was that malicious. Oh, no, it wasn't. If he just like, like got it, it in a vacuum. Yeah, it, was, it wasn't a surprise punch. I mean, he came straight straight around the net, and he came straight through with a right. It wasn't a blindside. That kid saw the big fella coming. It was kind of a deer in headlights. <laughs> like, oh, uh, I think I upset him. Yeah. Like. <laughs> I just think it's funny because... After Luch punched him, nobody on Columbus really tried to stick up for his teammate, their teammate. <laughs> well, they ended up going to the ice after, and it yeah. was just like Luch each just sandwiched him, just fell right on top of him. So a knuckle sandwich and then just laid right across. So Yeah, I just that would concern me. Like I said, big spot, Luch just acting out of instinct and what you just said. He goes right to Chuck and Nux instead of just – trying to send a message without actually hurting your team or yourself. Yeah, so, a, a little conversation goes far in this league. Especially when you're Luch. All you need to do is shoot a stare, and you'll get the message across. Yeah. Um, <laughs> the other thing I wanted to touch on, and this is credit goes out to The Athletic, uh, where I pulled the idea from. So this is called the Jonathan Taves schedule. And the reason why it's called the Jonathan Taves schedule is because he's been one of the biggest proponents in the National Hockey League about climate change and kind of trying to reduce CO2 emissions as a league overall. Um, so he's been trying to find ways, and Chicago, just based on geography, kind of gets screwed over a little bit in terms of their road trips, where they have to fly to Western Canada, and then they fly back home to Chicago for a home game the next night, and then they go on a road again to Dallas, and all the time zone changes and all the flights as versus a team like the Rangers who can take a train if they wanted to to about like five of their divisional opponents or at least six or seven of their conference opponents, which Chicago can't do. Um, so this schedule is kind of based around trying to eliminate travel time to make life easier for the players and their bodies and eliminating uh, flights to make things easier for the players and also the healthy environment. So with that in mind, I wanted to get your thoughts on this. The way it's broken down is you play six games against each divisional opponent. You play three games against each conference opponent. 
and then you play one game against each team from the opposite conference. So, with that being said, the savings. Central Division teams would have just 35 flights all year, which is 20 fewer than the current schedule model. Uh, the Metro Division is 27 flights, 25 in the Atlantic, and 21 in, in the Pacific Divisions, which, as you might well pull from that, a lot fewer late nights, a lot more hours in bed, and ra- and you get to spend your time in your own bedroom instead of in an airplane seat. All total, under this proposed schedule, which is just for fun, it's not being proposed in NHL, the NHL teams would fly 291,020 fewer miles per season under the schedule. And the way it's broken up is, it's like Major League Baseball. You go to Winnipeg, you play Winnipeg three or four games, and then you leave Winnipeg, and you go to another city, and you play that same team three games in a row. Then you fly to the next city, play that team two or three, four times in a row. And that's how the schedule is broken up to reduce travel time and flights. What are your thoughts? I sent you the screenshot of kind of what the Blackhawks schedule will look like against each opponent. What are your thoughts on that schedule? And keeping in mind, it's probably unrealistic just because a lot of these arenas are shared with NBA teams. Just what are your thoughts on this being as an option? At first, I I didn't like it. But then looking at it, I think hockey is one of those sports where if you play somebody enough, you end up hating them. Like there's no in between. And for example, I'm looking at the screenshot here. Uh, The first three games of the year, you're at home against Colorado, three games in a row. By game two, that could be really ugly. Like, I I just, I like it, but I don't. Like, I like the parody of when I go to turn on Nesson, the Bruins are probably playing someone different. You know, you get the occasional home-and-home with Toronto or Montreal, something like that. But usually it's a different team every night. But knowing that if we were playing Montreal three games in a row or playing Toronto three games in a row, how ugly it could be, and whether it's an hour building or theirs three nights in a row, like, I, I kind of like it, and I know baseball is a completely different element than hockey, like, not even close, but I think the nastiness that could come from this could be awesome. Like, yeah. y- you're almost having playoff series with people throughout the year. So can and you Angel's imagine? always trying to build up rivalry night and everything else, so. I was going to say, and I mean, for them marketing-wise, absolutely, but it's like you said, too. I think it's just too difficult with shared buildings and other venues that are coming in, the circus, the concerts. I think it'll be too hard to do. But I wouldn't mind it. For me, the biggest takeaway outside of logistics, like I said, the Rangers wouldn't be able to play three straight times against the Devils at Madison Square Garden over the course of like three or four days, and then in that means the Knicks have to go on a road for four time, for four days. Like every time the Rangers are home, the Knicks have to have a road trip, which they would be upset with. And then concerts and every other event, uh, revenue generating uh, uh, event that these arenas host. But one of the, for hockey, the biggest potential deal breaker would be a lot of these fans when you get to see Crosby, McDavid. Eric Carlson, Lundqvist in their arena because the Blackhawks would only play the Rangers on this hypothetical schedule once all year, and that's in New York and not at home. 
So Chicago doesn't get to see an original six matchup. The Islanders might not see McDavid, which is a, a big draw. Toronto might not go on the road and play St. Louis. So from a hockey perspective, that's kind of the only drawback. But I'm kind of with you where I think it would be super interesting, especially as you get into like late February and March. Your teams are fighting for a playoff spot. And just looking at the Blackhawks' hypothetical schedule, could you imagine six of the last seven games of their season would be on a ro- uh, at home, three against Nashville, three against St. Louis? I think it would be awesome because if you end up playing Nashville or St. Louis in the first round, can you already talk about like the carryover that's happened? Like, you're already <laughs> sending messages for the games ahead. Like, I think that's awesome. And I think for the rivalry part of it and the you want to get up and play part of it, like, hey, fucking so-and-so slashed me last night. Like, I'm going to cross-check him in the face tonight. I love it. I fucking yep. love it. Yeah, so that's interesting. I'm actually going to post the uh, framework of the schedule and then the screenshot of the Blackhawks hypothetical schedule on our Facebook page and uh, see what everybody's thoughts are on there, if they would be for it, if they're against it. Um, so we look forward to your input on our Facebook page there. Um, the next thing we kind of wanted to talk about before we get into our Bruins and Rangers talk is I was struggling to come up with a name for this segment. Basically, it's underachievers, picking a few underachievers that we think will not be able to turn it around for the remainder of the year. And then an underachiever that we think will be able to turn it around. And then we have overachievers that are going to fall off and overachievers that are for real. That's kind of how I broke it up on my end. Do you want to go first? I don't know how you kind of formatted your viewpoint on this, but I think we got this, the gist of it uh, before we started uh, recording here. All right. Uh, do, do you want to start with just underachievers that we don't think will turn it around? Oh, yeah. So you can take the, you can go first on that one. All right. I, I'm going to go with one right from the get-go that absolutely killed me. I had such high expectations for him. The New Jersey Devils. Mm. Greggy, I'm sorry. Fuck, man. Like, I was really high on this team. I liked the coaching staff. I thought Schneider was completely healthy, but when he's in net, they don't give him any fucking goal support. Minus 13 goal differential currently. 4-5-4. Four, and four. I mean, a couple of games that you guys just pissed away. Like, you had it and just pissed. Like, the Winnipeg game, like, killed me watching that that Friday night. Like, that to me is tough. And... I, I think trying to get out of a hole is even tougher, especially with everybody that's ahead of you right now. And just in the mm-hmm. wild card, like New Jersey's currently eighth in the wild card. I'll go with everybody ahead of them right now. Florida, Montreal, Pittsburgh, Philadelphia, Tampa Bay, the Rangers, Columbus. I don't even Hell like yeah, Columbus. Boys, so Rangers. <laughs> it, it, even if you X Columbus out of there, like that is a tough uphill battle. Yep. So I... They killed me, and I had such high expectations for them. Uh, who do you got? So for me, who is toast, they won't, in my opinion, will not be able to turn it around. We kind of talked about this over the summer about, you know, they're just always there, but there were question marks. We're like, it's going to be interesting to see how it plays out. 
Their current record after 16 games, 5-10-1 for 11 points, minus 18 goal differential, 3-6-1 in their last 10. Put a fork in them, the San Jose Sharks. Uh, I believe I said uh, they were not making the playoffs this year. Just want to remind everybody of that, just saying. Did you think that they were to be second to last place one point out of the basement in the West? No, I, I, did not, <laughs> I did not think that. But at the same time, I didn't like the roster lineup. Mm-hmm. Um, that Evander Kane shit that just came out about the $500 advance from the casino. And then on top of it, it happened during the playoffs, during your first round playoff series with Vegas. You just want to be like, this fucking kid. Like, just give him a backhander yep. and put him in his Hope room and ground him. That Yeah, he's brutal. But yeah, the Sharks are for me. I had a little bit higher hopes for them to make the playoffs just because of their forward group. I think offense can usually carry a team to the postseason. And then once they get there, those type of teams get exposed for the most part. I always knew or felt that their defense and goaltending was going to be their downfall once the playoffs rolled around. I didn't think it would be this bad during the regular season and especially their goal scoring. Uh, they're one of the worst offensive teams in the entire Western Conference. I think there's only two or three teams that have scored less to start the year in the West than San Jose. They don't have the depth up front. They brought back Marlowe, even though over the summer, uh, Wilson didn't show much interest in bringing him back. They brought him back to try and help out. He's not really kind of kick-starting things. Kane's in and out of the lineup and in and out of being effective. You have Burns and Carlson playing over, I think both of them are averaging over 25 minutes or 23 minutes of ice time a game because they just don't have anybody else back there. And Burns is 35. Carlson has groin injuries all the time. You can't really run those guys into the ground just to get to the playoffs and then hope they can continue that over multiple seven-game series. So I'm putting a fork in the San Jose Sharks. I don't even think I know you're pro, you got this right because you didn't think they would make the playoffs. I don't even think they contend for a playoff spot. Like I think by the time the trade deadline comes around, if anybody wants to pick apart that roster for upcoming UFAs, I think the Sharks will be open for business. I was about to ask you, who do you blame? Do you blame Dougie Wilson or do you blame DeBoer? Uh, I mean, DeBoer's a good coach. Everybody else is playing for him. I think it's just a matter of Kind of like what the Yankees ran into after their mini dynasty in the late 90s, early 2000s. You just keep bringing back that core, expecting it to turn around, that magic to still be there. And then you turn around one or two years later, and you're assigned long-term. You're stuck in the mud with these guys who are creeping up in age. I mean, like I said, Burns is 35. They have no way to get out of that Jones contract without a buyout. They don't have a young goalie in a system that is ready to take over for him. Yeah, Marlowe and Thornton, who are like 80 years old, ready for social security. And some of their <laughs> young guys, maybe the, outside of Couture and Hurdle, maybe they don't have guys that can carry that torch up front. Maybe they, they were built around role players now that they're getting exposed a little bit. I just think it's a lot of factors catching up to them. I don't blame Wilson for bringing back most of this group, but I'd, I'd be surprised if DeBoer's let go. I mean, who? what other coaches on the market that can give you what he does? I don't know. 
yeah, I mean, AV's already signed up, Quenneville's gone, so yeah, that's interesting. San Jose likes their stability, so I don't even know if Wilson goes, if they have a really crater of a season here. I think they'll get at least half of next year to try and turn this around. All right, next little section here. Who's underachieving so far this year that you think is going to turn it around and at least come close to the potential you thought they had before the year started? I mean, is it obvious to say Tampa Bay? (laughs) I mean, I'm just throwing it out there. I'm very surprised with this team. Current record, 6-5-2. And and their minus three goal differential to me is insane with all the talent that's on that roster. Like, like I just expect so much more from them. Currently in their last 10, 5-4-1, they're just over 500. Like, they're... They're not impressing anybody. It's it's weird. I I expected a lot more from this group. And to be where they're at, like Montreal's ahead of them, Florida's ahead of them, just in that wild card. And then you have Rangers the, are a point behind them. Yeah. And then you have the three people who are in the Atlantic, and it's like I know we are very early in the year. That Tampa Bay has only played thirteen games. They only have fourteen points. But I mean, the Bruins played fifteen. They have twenty four points. Buffalo yeah, fifteen, kind of running twenty points right now. Yeah, like I, I think it's going to be tough for them to play catch up here because I don't see certain teams just falling off. I do expect them to be a lot better. But what is it? Is it the goaltending? Like their game tomorrow with Buffalo in this NHL Global Series is huge. It is a huge game for this team, and it's a huge game for Buffalo too. Mm-hmm. So I'm very interested to see what uh, the future holds for Tampa Bay. To kind of give a little bit of my insight on it, I don't think it's talent. I think it's the mentality. I think they're just kind of trying to coast through, and they think they can turn that switch on come the new year, or February, March, April, and then in the playoffs and play up to their potential because – you guys, I know we'll get into this with the Rangers. The Bruins curb stomped the shit out of my Rangers last week. And then two nights later, the Rangers Rangers dominated the Lightning. So, I don't know. I think it's more of a will issue in Tampa Bay more than a talent issue. And is that a good indication on Cooper as a coach where the talent's there, but they just aren't playing up to it or slash don't give a shit at this point because it's only... A, October, it's only November, it's only December. Um, so that's kind of one of these questions that are going to get answered. If, can you imagine if they missed the playoffs? Dude, if they missed the playoffs, I don't know what would happen. And I think Coop's gone if that happens. I think the Coop's gone and they're figuring out something. And one other thing, I know Stevie Y was still an advisor for them last year. I think they're missing Stevie Y in that management position. I mean... Mm. I'm looking right now at the top 50 point getters in the NHL. Brendan Gallagher is number 50 with 13 points. There are no Tampa Bay Lightning players with 13 points. With that wow. lineup? Wow. Come on. <laughs> yeah. It's kind of. See, I was going to say it would be kind of like the Patriots after their. 17 and one season, then and then following that up with like a nine and seven 
regular season, but then turning it on in the playoffs. But I, Belichick would never let that happen. So that's not even a good kind of example to give their hypothetical. Yeah. Um, um, I don't know. That's all right. So my lovely. pick for an underachieving team that's going to turn it around. They've already started turning it around. Uh, they won four in a row, seven and three in the last ten. The Dallas Stars. Uh, they had another slow start to the year, just like last year. But they looks like they finally turned that corner much earlier and without a degrading outburst from the team president necessary to do it. So uh, they're currently 11th in the Western Conference, but they are just, what is it? They are three points out of fourth in a conference. So they caught up to that whole little bundle of teams out West and they're just behind Winnipeg, Anaheim, Arizona, Nashville, Vancouver, Edmonton, some of those teams are going to fall off, I think. So I think Dallas, they already started started turning around a little bit, but I think they're going to go on a real big run here um, as we enter, enter into December here. And uh, just one other thing. Uh, Detroit has three games or has played three games more than Ottawa, and they're <laughs> tied for points, so just throwing that out there. So. And... Dude, minus 33 goal differential. Not looking too good for me here. Yeah, I know. Ottawa at only minus 10. God, I, I, had, a good, <laughs> I had a good prediction here. Fuck me. All right, first seed betting. Um, all right, so now let's look at an overachiever that we think is for real. Who do you got? I mean, is does it make me a homer if I say Boston? I, I'm going to go Boston, and this is actually one team – Actually, do you remember? No, I, I said Carolina was going to fall, so that was my fault. But the Islanders right now, holy shit. Ten in a row. Ten in a row, 11-3, 22-plus-14 goal differential, so it's not just the defensive system that Barry Trotz has running. I mean, who would have thought year two after Tavares left we would be saying that? N- not me. I thought I had this team in in as a dumpster fire last year, and they were number two in this division again. They're number two in this division now. Whatever Barry Trotz is cooking, whatever they're eating, whatever it is, it's working. Both time they get a new arena, huh? Um, <laughs> fuck me. Yeah, le- I mean, least goals given up up in the entire NHL. So I I think you can. I'm, we could put. I'm not saying this as a dig on Stratford here. I'm saying you could put Stratford in Golden Islanders, and they'll probably be in contention for a Vezina Trophy and Trotz's system. I mean, if I could skate like Stratford, I'm telling you. And the boy, he's like, fucking, <laughs> he's like a fucking Kenyan. He, he doesn't get off the ice. He's just like a marathon runner. I'm like, holy <laughs> shit, dude! I've already had four line changes. But uh, <laughs> you're gassed after just. I uh, half board power play. Oh my god, I- I'm gas watching him skate and go get the puck. I'm like, oh my god, I'm gonna <laughs> stay down here. But uh, no, man, I think the Islanders are real deal. I it-, it shocks me, but I think this team it- it's going good. It's crazy. I never would have expected it, but I think they are a real deal powerhouse. I'm still gonna throw the disclaimer out there that Buffalo also won like 11 in a row in November last year, and we saw how they ended up. So. I'm still going to wait a little bit more on the Islanders before I call them legitimately real as an overachiever again. But we'll get into Boston in a second here, but the only team in NHL with double-digit regulation wins. 
Like, you guys are unreal this year, and everybody thought you would have a Stanley Cup hangover after a tough Game 7 loss, but it looks like that kind of fueled you, your boys a little bit. Yeah, it seems like they're on the Redemption World Tour <laughs> right now. Uh, for me, a team that is overachieving in regards to preseason expectations that I think is for real, I'm calling them the New York Islanders of the West just because of their, their system that's in place that I think is going to help them sustain their early season run. The Desert Dogs, the Arizona Coyotes. They look good right now. The Coyotes are for real. I I like. They have given up the second second least goals in NHL, just behind the Islanders, which is why I'm calling them the Islanders of the West. A lot of solid leadership types as veterans. Tesla's helping them out a little bit with their offense production and their power play. They have. It looks like they're. Defense has turned a corner in their development, and you can't go wrong. If Antti Ranta is healthy, he's, a, I think, a quality number one. Darcy Kemper is continuing his FU tour around NHL uh, after getting that extension in terms of showing everybody that he's a legitimate number one. So that's my pick as, for real, here to stay for the remainder of the year. I like it. Who do you have an overachieving team that is toast. They're going to fall off a cliff at some point, potentially even before the new year. One team, like, what do we define as completely falling off the cliff, though? I'm going to say uh, they're in either in a playoff spot now when nobody expected them to be in a playoff spot at this point in the year and they're not going to make the playoffs, or they're a team that's near the top of the standings and was like, whoa, how'd they get there? That they're going to struggle to make the playoffs or something like that. Okay. That's how I'm defining it for me. I have two, obviously. It's (laughs) never easy. I have Edmonton and Vancouver, both at the top of that Pacific. I, I know the Pacific is an absolute gong show right now with all the teams in the dumpster and everything. Edmonton at the top of that, 17 games played, 10 5 and 2 record. The one thing that scares me, though, is with all that firepower we talked about in the preseason preview, the back end. Only a plus two goal differential. Yep. That scares me. Vancouver, I, I thought they were they had a really good lineup. I like this lineup. They're plus 18 right now in, in goal differential. I think that's huge for them and the kids. Do I think they're going to stay where they are? No, I, I think Vegas and Calgary are going to turn it on. Edmonton's right there giving it a push too. I mean not not Edmonton, Anaheim, I'm sorry, Jesus Christ. <laughs> Anaheim's right there giving it a push too. They're gonna drop. I, I do believe I, I said I do think that Edmonton is a playoff team. I just don't think it's gonna be in that top three in the Pacific. It'll end up being a wild card spot. But I do think from where they are now to in the future, yes, they will drop. All right. For me, it was kind of it boiled down to two teams for me, and both were in the Eastern Conference. At first, I was leaning towards Montreal, but they're sitting in that eighth spot overall in the Eastern Conference, and that's like not too far off from where some people could have seen them, especially with Carey Price and goal. I'm going to go for a team that I like overall, that I think next year they're going to make some big-time noise in the Eastern Conference. I'm going to go with the Buffalo Sabres. And I say that because they set off off the year real hot. They were number one, two 
overall in the Eastern Conference for a pretty good amount of time, about a month there to start the year. They're now 5-4-1 in their last 10. They've lost two in a row. Uh, they were on a losing streak. They lost to the Rangers uh, about a week and a half, two weeks ago, and I think they lost four in a row at that point. I just see them starting that slide down the standings, and when you're battling, you're just two points. You're one point ahead of Carolina and Toronto, who are definitely more talented and more playoff-ready. Florida and Montreal is just one, two points behind them. Pittsburgh's still sitting there with a plus-12 goal differential at 17 points. So I just think maybe not so much that they're going to fall off, but they're not going to be able to keep up with these teams that started off slow that are going to really start turning a corner here. So you're, you're going with two years in a row, Buffalo starts hot and then burns. Yeah, I think they need to start off slow next year and then turn it around and then it'll be for real. <laughs> Maybe Tampa's going with that this year. Maybe that's what's going on. Yeah. Um, all right. So with that out of the way, I know you probably have a lot to talk about uh, since it's been two weeks since we recorded. I have a couple things on my end, but let's get it ready for some Bruins and Rangers week in review. Take it away, big boy. I don't really have much to talk about. The boys are rolling. <laughs> the, the boys are rolling. I got nothing. Um David Pasternak leading the league in points, 15 goals, 15 assists. Uh, Brad Marchand third in the league with 15 goal. Oh, I'm sorry, 10 goals and 18 assists. I guess when you have a really good line mate like uh, Pasternak, you can feed the puck to. You're definitely going to pad the stats a little bit. Um, I don't know, man. Uh, I saw the game the other night against the Canadians. Tough look. One thing that is worrying me right now. It is not the goaltending, but it's kind of our fall apartness in a sense. Uh, against Pittsburgh, we gave up four unanswered goals. That is not like us in the least. So I was not a fan of that. Uh, the Montreal game looked flat at times. Um, that offsides call, it was tough. It's one of those things where it's in coil skates. Does the puck go in first? Does it not? I don't know, kind of hard to tell from the angle. Does he have control? I, I heard Bruins people arguing this on one of the groups that um, the back skate kicks the puck up to the stick. So that is clear control because you see it so much in the NHL nowadays. And it's like, shut the fuck up. There's, <laughs> like, there's a puck in your skates and you kick it forward. That's reactionary. That That's yep. what happens every time. I don't consider... A puck in your back skate kicking it forward as control of the puck. I, or I, deliberate in terms it, of trying to score. Yeah, like I, I just, I don't see it. The issue I had with the offsides call is we have now had four goals taken back this year by uh, the review, three of them due to offsides. Was it offsides? Maybe. Uh, tough to tell. The, the only thing for me is it seemed like the NHL wanted to be a certain way with this where they wanted it to be an extremely easy call, go over to offsides, are they off, are they on, like in and out, bang, bang. In this call the other night, it seemed like they were almost looking and trying to like pick apart a play as to whether it was or it wasn't. And to me, the only frustrating part is either this game has gotten 10 times faster or linesmen now are just completely blind because – I remember back in the day, whatever the linesman called, I would say they were about 
98% right. Like there, there was a couple that slipped past them, but I'd say for the most part, they were on the money. And now there's been so many reversal calls in this, that, and the other thing. And it's kind of driving me crazy around the league, not just in Boston. So to me, it's like, I think there needs to be a set standard of offsides, kind of like how the NFL has gone to it with the pass interference calls. Like it is, or it isn't make the call, move on, like go to the tent, talk to Toronto, make the call and just be in and out of there. Like it should not be this long of a deliberation. And I understand you want to get the call right. I am a hundred percent for getting the call right. But at the same time, it's kind of like you're nitpicking as to what is or what isn't. Make your call. If you go in there and you come out and you have your little mic on and you say, we do not think the Bruins player had possession, puck was in his skates, kicked it forward, he was offside, bang, I'm okay with that. Mm-hmm. But say it. When when you spend that much time under the tent, it kind of scares me. Um, another thing from the Toronto uh, Montreal game the other night, Tuka Rask absolutely shit his pants in that first period up there. Just awful dog shit. He, that third goal, it was, I was kind of baffled. Like, he didn't even really flinch. Uh, I believe it was Byron, Paul Byron scored for them. Kept that puck on the ice, shot at five hole. And I was like, oh my God, there's just something about Tuka in that building, which every time scares me. Outside of that, Charlie McAvoy for the love of God, every time you do it, it, like there was at least three times last year, I remember you doing it where there's some sort of giveaway. Yes, I am very happy you're skating hard on the back check to break up whatever that guy has, whether it's a breakaway or a two-on-one just trying to get there. And you've flown into the goalie so many times. You did it this week. You smashed your face off the goalpost. Hopefully, you know, just just go a little bit wide. Miss the net because it it did not look pretty. It looked like it fucking hurt. Like, don't do that. Going forward, that top line needs to stay the top line where David Krejci is back. uh, Jake DeBrusque is now out as to how long, who knows, because I'm waiting for it. He's currently not traveling with the team to the game tomorrow night. But I'm waiting for it to come out. It's either going to be an upper body or a lower body. And God knows how long the timetable is going to be. Need, we need, need, need secondary scoring. Because it's going to happen where this first line is going to cool off. And I've been saying it the whole time. So maybe they just keep shoving it up my ass and I'll be A-OK with it where they just stay red hot. But we need secondary scoring. And we need it bad. Because if we don't get it, we're in for a world of hurt if these guys ever cool off. That's all. <laughs> uh, I mean, just to talk about the Tuca and Montreal thing, Hank has a very long history of playing like absolute dog shit in uh, the Bell Center, so Tuca's not alone in there. Um, one more thing I wanted to add about the Bruins. I saw this. Uh, Elliot Friedman put this in his weekly column, uh, talking about the Bruins 11-1-2 and two start at that point. Uh, in all situations, they are outscoring opponents 27-7 to 7 with all three of their top forwards on the ice, including 12 to nothing on a power play. Um, they are one of only five teams with uh, 12 or more power play goals. Uh, Bergeron, Marshall, and the Parasinac are alone are tied with or outscoring the other 26 teams with power play goals. 
The Bruins have scored 36 goals for Martian on the ice. That's number one in NHL. Bergeron and Parsonak have been on the ice for 31. Uh, Tied with Roman Yorzy for fifth. And Boston has scored 80% of the goals this season with Martian on the ice. And there's only one other player who's done that, and that's Jordy Ben in Vancouver. But he's played 37 fewer, mi- fewer minutes than a no-space killer. So just... An unbelievable start for the Bruins in that top line. Yes, moving that's on to, very nice. <laughs> <laughs> moving on to the Rangers, I'll keep this short and sweet. Um, I'm going to break it down into negative, positive, and something interesting. I'll start off with the negative. Mika Zibanejad suffered an injury uh, going on two weeks ago now. At first, there was some fear that it was another concussion, which would be his third with the Rangers, and I think his fourth overall in his career, which would start being very concerning. Uh, but it turned out to be something with his neck. He's been skating during practice with the team the last few days, so he's close to coming back. Uh, but he did not make the road trip to Carolina for the game tonight in rally, so uh, he's at least one or two more games away. The other negative for the Rangers so far is, I posted about this on my personal Facebook Quinny is not impressing me so far in year two. Last year, he got um, a mulligan just because it was year one of a rebuild. There wasn't very much talent, especially on the back end in New York. But this year, you wanted to start seeing some progress. And to me, there's not much of a transition system uh, with this team. It's They get the puck, and they just hot potato it. I think I talked about this in a lot last episode where they just try and get it up and out along the boards as quickly as possible. There's no freelancing. There's no thought. There's no puck possession. It's just give the puck away, get it out of the zone, and that's how they play transition slash defensive structure, which is alarming to me. Uh, the other thing is when they play so inconsistently, when the Rangers win, it's almost like they win because of the talent that's on the roster. Like Panarin will take a game over. Sibanejad will take a game over. Or they get a really good game and goal from either Lundqvist or uh, Georgiev. But when they lose, they get their face stomped in. And it's because of their structure and because of just the way that ice time is divvied up, which is more of a reflection on Quinn than anything else. So we'll see how the next few weeks go here. But at, at one point, the Rangers lost six in a row. And there was a lot of rumblings about if Quinn's going to be the guy that helps them even just turn that corner like Tom Rennie was back in the day before Tortorella took over for the Rangers. Um, one positive, Filipino, my boy, got called up to New York. He has two goals in three games, playing in the second-line center spot, even with Zibanejad out. He's been playing extremely well. He's been playing physical, uh, involved in all three facets of the game. So it looks like that month and a half... And Harford did him some good. He's still only 20 years old, so got to keep that in mind as well. But pretty good early returns on Heedle's second year in New York. Hopefully can keep it up. And finally, something interesting. Outside, before Lundqvist played last night, Wednesday, against the Detroit Red, Red Wings, Alexander Georgiev played three in a row, which would have been unheard of years ago when Lundqvist was in his prime Lundqvist. But he's been a better goalie since January of 2019 uh, when you compare Georgiev to Lundqvist. So a little bit of a perhaps 50-50 split moving forward 
depending on how Lundqvist plays. It seems like they're going to just play the hot goalie. But if Lundqvist continues to get outplayed in limited time by the kid, you probably want to give him a few more starts to see what you have in him, especially with Igor the Great sitting there in Hartford and absolutely crushing it with a 1-4 goals against average and a 9.50 save percentage. Um, so that's something interesting to keep in mind for Ranger fans out there. And that's all I have for this week for the boys. All right. Well, what else we got on the docket this week? I know it's a short week, but I think we still should do uh, lock of the week. Maybe not game of the week, but lock of the week picks. All right. I'll give you my lock. I already know exactly where I'm going. Uh, the boys are on fire. Sunday night, the 10th, Philadelphia at Boston. The bees are bringing it home. All right. My lock of the week. You're absolutely crushing me right now in this shit, so I'm going to probably end up having a pony up for another one. <laughs> uh, but my lock of the week pick, I'm going to go out on a limb here, but it's Saturday night at home, Toronto against the Flyers. I'm going to go Toronto, especially after some of that bulletin board material that Ovechkin and Drew Doughty gave them about how they need to play the game the right way. So I'm going to give that to the boys up in Toronto. All right. Do we have any uh, history today? We do have some history. It's very Ranger-centric, and that was not done on purpose. Um, but in 1975, the New York Rangers and Boston Bruins, arch rivals for the first half of the 1970s, complete a franchise-altering trade involving three future Hockey Hall of Famers. The Rangers trade center Jean Rattel, defenseman Brad Park, and minor league defenseman Joe Nussi to the Boston Bruins for Phil Esposito and Carol Benice. Is that how you say it? I don't know. I think he was a ranger. No idea. (laughs) Uh, But yeah, my dad hated that trade. He loved Brad Park, hated Esposito, and had to change sweaters there. So uh, that was in 1975 on November 7th. On November 7th in 2002, Brian Leach becomes the first defenseman in NHL history to score seven regular season overtime goals. The seventh one comes when he scores 51 seconds into overtime to give the Rangers a 1-0 victory against the Calgary Flames at the Garden. And lastly, in 2017, Yarmir Yager of the Calgary Flames plays in his 1,925th NHL game, including Stanley Cup playoffs, to move past Gordie Howe into second place on the NHL's all-time combined games playlist behind Marc Messier. I forgot that he played for the Flames. And when I saw that, I was like, holy shit, yeah, there's a photo of him in Calgary. Damn. That's funny. Yeah, so that's today in actual history for November 7th. Uh, who do you got for shout-outs? Uh, shout-outs this week. A uh, huge shout-out to Big Red. Uh, extremely happy. We just had a uh, a family vacation. We went down to Disney World, me, her, and the kids, and it surprisingly went really well. I didn't know what to expect. The first time the kids were on a plane, our first really big, big vacation with them, Everything went really well. The kids had a great time. They were very well behaved. Mama and Dada had a great time. So we Did were. Did you uh, behave? I hope so. I mean, you, you, <laughs> you'd have to ask her, but I thought that was pretty good. <laughs> but uh, no, that was all. It was a very good week. So very happy about that. All right. Shout outs for me this week. Obviously, the first lady. Uh, she actually just landed uh, her big job in the New York City fashion industry. Uh, she will be working for Saks Fifth Avenue's corporate office in their 
e-commerce and styling department. So congratulations to her. Very proud of her. Do we get a discount? Oh, hey, if you want to wear something from Saks, you can hit her up. All right. I mean, I think I look decent in a suit. You know, I'm going to get the suit game going. Uh, maybe a little something for uh, the red one for the holidays. Maybe, yeah. yeah. Now, that, <laughs> now that I have a designer behind the scenes, I might be able to plan accordingly. Um, I want to give another shout out. You touched on this earlier just as a little joke, but shout out to Vander Kane. Dude, pay your gambling debts. You're a professional fucking athlete like Jesus Christ. And stop going to Vegas and the casinos during the first round of the playoffs, you dipshit. Um, third shout out. I'm going to end. Uh, actually, no, I have one more after this. Third shout out to all the teams that are not in the playoffs beginning November 1st because since 2005, 2006, just nine of 59 teams that were four or more points out of a playoff spot after November 1st reached the postseason. So if you're looking at the standings and your favorite team is four or more points out of the playoffs starting November 1st, you can pretty much kiss the playoffs goodbye if you're going by recent history. Um, and lastly, shout-outs to both of our dentists for getting us in and done this week, helping our mangled-ass uh, former hockey player mouths try and get into a decent shape. Yeah, we appreciate that. Uh, as always, everybody, thank you for listening. We appreciate you guys taking the time out of your day. Um, Benny, have we decided when next week's gonna start? Are we gonna do like a Monday night or a Tuesday? I know this one was a, this one was a late. We were behind the eight ball, so we had to put something out because we knew everybody was waiting patiently. <laughs> um, let's do Tuesday just to give an extra day. Usually we'll do we try and do every Monday night uh, to keep things consistent, but uh, since we're recording late this week. Let's do Tuesday. Just give us an extra day of potential uh, content from around the league. All right. I like that. Um, One other thing just on the way out, you'll hear it in the outro song. A uh, very big rest in peace to a guy when I was working summer helping Needham who had a very good influence on me. We we lost Jimbo this week. Had a tough battle with cancer, but... uh, Jimbo was a phenomenal human being, an absolute riot. Uh, no other guy could just walk into a room and be like, you fucking white punk on dope? Or, what the fuck, kid? What the fuck? Or, just chirping Lando about the keys to the condo in P-Town. <laughs> um, there's actually one photo. I'm going to have to go and dig it up when it pops up on my uh, Facebook memories. But Jimbo was just a riot. It's like, hey, kid. Go get some beers and get a little bit of Jack too. Make sure you spike, <laughs> make sure you spike the beers a little bit. So one night, me and Berto, we went to Newburyport. We're on Plum Island at uh, Aaron's Beach House, which you know you've been Aaron's Beach House, good times there. Mm-hmm. And yep. uh, oh my God, me and Bobo from spiking our beers and just drinking Jack Street, like absolutely crippled. Where we're like on a table and we're like pointing to each other because we couldn't actually speak. But uh, oh my God, Jimbo was the absolute best. But Everybody, thank you for listening, and we will catch you guys next week. When I got the news today, I didn't know what to say. So I just hung up the phone. I took a walk to clear my head, and this is where the walk-in led. Can't believe you're really gone Don't feel like
going home, so I'm gonna sit right here on the edge of this pier and watch the sunset disappear and drink a beer.